You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. When we go to gamble, we go to lose. Even when we win, it's just a matter of time before we give it all back. This is the Bet Slippin' Podcast. Featuring Jeff Clark from USA Today Sportsbook Wire. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I mean, it's the gambling business. Occasionally get punched in the face. You're listening to the Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. What up, fools? Thanks for streaming the Bet Slippin' Podcast. It's uh, our weekly version of the show. I know you mostly catch my NBA daily podcast, but we do week by week um, sports handicaps for the whole slate. And this week we're focused, obviously, on just the NCAA tournament and the Sweet 16 round. We'll also um, look ahead to the Final Four or talk about our Final Four um, teams that we that we have remaining left in the tournament. Uh, but to help us do that, we actually brought in the managing editor of thelines.com, Stephen Andrews. Hey, guys. How we doing? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you got to check out uh, Stephen and his colleague's stuff at The Lines. It's actually one of the sources that I use for all um, sports tent polls, previews, and and uh, big sporting event breakdowns. Um, I do. I think they do great work over there at the line. So be sure to check out Steve and all his colleagues and big thanks to you for making your bet slip and podcast debut. No, my, my pleasure. I, I know for us at the lines, March madness is one of our favorite times of the year. We, uh, we put a lot of effort into our content over there. I, I loved our, our bracket we have going that has the built in spreads that will change as the market moves. And you can click on those to see the the previews of each game. So um, for me personally, it was, a, it was a rough couple of first rounds here, but hoping to, to get some of it back here for the sweet 16 and the elite eight for sure. Nice. Well, we'll talk about some of my first round wins, first and second round wins and losers. And then we'll also talk about the first and second round wins and losers of my co-host, the homie, uh, handicapping homie Nathan Beagle, aka Nate Dog. What's up, Nate? I was waiting for the intro. What's up? Happy to uh, happy to be back. Looking forward to a great slate. I had fun watching the uh, the first few rounds, so I'm excited to talk about these. Yeah. Did you have a profitable first couple of rounds? Uh, yeah, I actually had a very good uh, first few rounds. Um, I don't know my record overall. I think me and my brother were tracking it. I think we were like. 29 and 20 or something something like that we were we were betting a ton do you have like a beagle betting syndicate yeah well i don't even know if this is i, I don't know how it works, but he lives he lives in philly it's not let's just say it's not yeah. beagle in ohio yet I, I got you you're doing some interstate commerce all right that's cool <laughs> well, i don't know how much i'm allowed to go into that i think you said enough steven how did your first and second rounds go Couple games there that that really pissed me off, to be honest with you. But uh, but there was there were some wins I enjoyed. I bet Ariz- that that Arizona TCU game was so much fun. I wound up live betting Arizona late in that game at like plus one hundred, and then again at plus two hundred. So uh, honestly, pretty fortunate that that uh, Mr. Benedict hit that shot to send it to overtime here. But um, other than that, I, it was a it was a struggle, man. I mean. I was betting some underdogs that I thought would cover and, and just didn't work out. I was, I was fading Providence and that didn't work out. They look like giant beaters at this point after playing so many close games in the regular season. Um, I thought Wisconsin got itself a pretty easy draw and just completely, you know, fell apart against uh, Iowa state, I believe. So 
a bit of a struggle there. I mean, I know it's not betting, it's it's bracket, right? But I, I've been filling out a bracket by hand since like middle school, guys. And I have never lost three Final Four teams on the first day of the tournament, and I did this year. I lost Iowa, I lost Kentucky, and um, and I lost – I took a shot on UConn in, in Gonzaga's region, which looks horrendous at this point. So – um, but for the most part, I'm feeling pretty good. I have some Purdue futures still. It looks like their brackets cleared out pretty decently here to give them a shot to get to New Orleans. Um, but but moving forward here, I got some I got some teams I'm keeping an eye on. I think I I think we got some decent value here in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I uh, took some nice winners home with uh, Iowa State. I took them in the uh, against the spread and the money line against LSU, and then I took them against the spread with Wisconsin. So they profited nice for me. I took I hammered UNC uh, over Marquette, um, and I gave that out. I gave both those games out, both uh, Ohio State or Iowa State and UNC's first round victories as best bets and last week's bet slipping podcast. Um, I didn't bet UNC versus Baylor. I uh, also profited a little bit off of Notre Dame. I took them in their first round upset, both money line and against the spread. Uh, against Alabama, and then I took them against the spread against Texas Tech, which is uh, one of my three remaining Final Four teams. So I'm doing pretty good here. I got UCLA to win the whole thing. I got Houston in the Final Four, Texas Tech in Final Four, and I lost Auburn uh, after they uh, put up a stinker and a 79-61 loss to Miami. Uh, It wasn't all profit, though, for me. I did lose with uh, Colorado State. Um, against Michigan, I took Colorado State, which um, um, was looking like the right side for a lot of that, but they kind of peed down their leg in the end. And Michigan's actually having a really nice tournament, advancing all the way to the Sweet 16. Obviously, we'll talk about their game against Villanova. And I took Davidson Moneyline over Michigan State, which was a another loser. Um, all in all, I had a very solid first and second round, I, much better than I thought I would. To be honest, I'm not very good at college basketball, but um, I'm I'm excited about the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and um, I have a big bet on UCLA to win this thing, which is still very live and looking really good. So I'm excited about the uh, the uh, the final stretch or, or where we are here in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Steven, who who do you have to win this whole thing? You said you have four of your final four or three of your your final four missing. So it was the yeah, one guy. But I still. I still had the champion in there. The one team I still had alive is the champion I picked was Arizona. But I admittedly, I saw the bracket on Selection Sunday, and I thought this next game against Houston was going to be the biggest challenge they have. I think there's some people that think Houston's metrics are inflated based on just a weak strength of schedule that they played. But, I mean, I, I think it's a situation, despite losing their top two scorers, where it's it's almost the sum of the parts are better than the individuals and they just play really well as a team and have a ton of experience and, you know, obviously an elite offensive rebounding team. So if Arizona struggled with stopping TCU from getting offensive rebounds, I think they're going to struggle again to stop Houston from getting offensive rebounds. So I I think Arizona has the most upside, but I think this is a a really tough, tough uh, regional semifinal game for them. Absolutely. Nate, how is your final four or um, how how is like the uh, top end of your bracket looking? Yeah. So last week we gave out some of our futures. Uh, I still have Texas Tech alive and they're actually going to be favorited this week against Duke. And then I have UCLA at plus 400 still alive and they'll be favorited. And then I would assume they might be favorited against Purdue if they make it through as well. 
On the other side of my bracket, most of I didn't give it out, but most of my brackets had Arizona. I was I was honestly very surprised to see Tennessee struggle. I think Dickinson was just too much, and it was kind of shocking that they couldn't game plan better against that. And then down at the bottom half, I had Kansas going through. I didn't think – I mean, you, you always talk about how much you hate the Big Ten, so I didn't have Wisconsin or Iowa going too far. I had Auburn and Kansas as so kind of a gimme one-two in my fine, in my Elite Eight for most of those. So I'm still looking – I'm still sitting pretty with Kansas there. All right, well, let's start breaking down this uh, Sweet 16, and we'll start in the uh, the Western region where the first game uh, to tip off – uh, this Thursday is a 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, uh, well, 7.09, tip-off between Gonzaga, the number one seed um, in the West, playing the four, the four seed Arkansas Razorbacks right now. This is according to Tipico Sportsbook, our odds provider and sponsor of this podcast. Currently, Zaga, uh, Gonzaga is 9.5-point favorites. The total is sitting at 154.5 with the over juice to minus 112. I have a lean on Zaga. Uh, Steve, or Steven, do you have an official play in this game, or how are you looking at it? Yeah, I actually bet this at open when it was 8.5. I took Gonzaga 8.5. That spread didn't make a, a ton of sense to me based on the matchup. Uh, I know Memphis covered rather easily as a 10-point dog, and, and Gonzaga's playing a better seed in this game than what Memphis is. But I think that Memphis is a tougher matchup for Gonzaga than than Arkansas is. So I bet him at eight and a half. I certainly understand why this has started to move back towards double digits for Gonzaga. I don't know if you guys watched that Arkansas New Mexico State game, but it was painful, man. Like that was that was a hard game to watch. It was ugly. Um, Arkansas is I think is going to struggle with the size of Gonzaga with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren on the inside, and I mean. Arkansas is going to be trotting out a 5'7 guard and Chris Likes and, and going to have somebody guarding him at 6'3 or 6'5 or even taller than that. And if, if you look at the, the offensive statistics for Arkansas, they shot 27% and 3 of 16 from 3 and somehow won that second-round game with those stats. They only shot 7 of 21 from 3 against Vermont. Overall for the season, outside the top 300 and three-point field goal percentage, and if you look at shot quality, which we like to do a lot over at the lines where, you know, we work with them and, and they let us use some of their numbers. Um, the Razorbacks are outside the top 220 in several different offensive categories, catch and shoot threes, off the dribble threes, mid range, post up. They're only top 140 and finishing at the rim, but they're playing Gonzaga, who's number one in the country and defending shots at the rim. So, I mean, this size is going to be a massive issue for them. Both teams like to run high-tempo teams. So this adds up to me to a lot of more opportunities for Gonzaga to open up a lead in this game. And, you know, I I rarely lay this many points with a favorite, especially this time of the year. But I think this one could get ugly. I think this could be a blowout. Now, you said you got it at 8.5. It's at 9.5. Would you still play it at that number, or is the value gone for you? I think I need a 9. Um, okay. I don't, I think, I know we're, we're splitting hairs here a little bit, but I think, uh, that's probably my stop point. Um, and then if you miss it, you know, I'm, there's been so many times during this tournament where you can get a good number live, right. In the middle of the first half, or maybe even at halftime, mm-hmm. uh, how many people were lining up at the window when Gonzaga was down 10 
and and getting a, a nice plus money number on them to still beat Memphis when it was a when, when they were a ten point favorite pregame. So um, yeah, I, I think you can you're, you're risking a little bit, right? There's always the chance Gonzaga gets out to a you know a ten zero run and and never looks back. But um, I'm still a proponent of of trusting these numbers, and if I'm not getting the best of the number, then trying to find an opportunity in the live market early on. Yeah, completely agree on that. And I think I'm just going to add real quick. I have also Gonzaga and I have a minus nine and a half. I think I'd be okay with it. My problem here is that so in the regular season, Arkansas's leading score was J.D. Note. He was one of the best in the in the SEC, averaged 18.9 per game, and he shot 41 percent from the field. Sounds good. But then in his last six, four of which have been postseason games, he's shooting 28 percent from the field. And against Gonzaga, that's just not going to cut it. If he has another game, I mean, last game against New Mexico State, five for 18. Game before that against Vermont, five for 16. Two for eight against Texas A&M in the conference tournament. I just don't see them hanging around with a team that ranks atop Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency without uh, Note going off. And he struggled heavily over his past six, and I don't see that changing here. So uh, I'll also take Gonzaga. I don't know if it'll be a best bet because nine and a half, I mean, Arkansas covered 13 of their last 16 regular season games, which sounds absurd, but uh, I, I think nine and a half is a lot, but I do think Gonzaga gets it. It's not going to be a best bet, but I definitely do favor them. All right. Yeah, I don't have a real play in this game. I lean Gonzaga. I guess my one issue with them is they've only covered once in their last nine games, and you'll hear me say this a lot, but just like the officiating in college basketball has me nervous about laying like – nine and a half points for the favorite, right? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to get Gonzaga here, but I don't see any value in Arkansas either. I mean, Gonzaga's defense is first in effective field goal shooting. They're 22nd in defensive free throw rate. Um, and and um, Arkansas can't shoot from behind the arc. They're only, according to Ken Palm, they're 314th in three-point shooting percentage. And their one offensive edge is their high offensive free throw attempt rate. But again, Gonzaga does a really good job of keeping opponents off the free throw line. Also, I don't think like their defense is going to be is going to have trouble staying in front of Arkansas because like Arkansas doesn't shoot a lot of three pointers, and they're not good at shooting three pointers even if they get them up. So I think like it's not the defense isn't going to be sprawling to like cover um, the floor spacing shooters for Arkansas, but. That's probably far too much uh, analysis for a game that ultimately I'm not going to have any money on. Uh, the next Western Region game is the second seed Duke playing the three seed uh, Texas Tech uh, University. Texas Tech has actually been steamed up from an underdog in the opener to now, according to Tipico, they're one and a half point favorites. The total sitting at one thirty-seven and a half with more juice coming in on the under. I like Texas Tech here. They're one of my Final Four teams. Um, but I'll get into my um, analysis for them versus Duke here in a second. But, Nate, how are you playing this game, if at all? Um, my bad. I, was, I wasn't focused on what did you say? It's a Texas Tech-Duke game, um, 6.30 I, o'clock. Uh, 6, 6.30. So I think the one thing that I've kind of been looking for is I would almost say – predicted upsets i i understand dukes dukes the underdog here but when you look at games like south dakota state versus providence in the first round or vermont vermont versus arkansas 
they the market seemed to expect an upset and it reacted that way. I mean, San Diego State only ended as two, 2.5, I think 2.5 to 4.5 favorites. And that's kind of what I see with Duke. I mean, Duke is a team they ranked ninth in the nation in points, 13th in field goal percentage, 24th in three-point field, field goal percentage. And they have a lot of quality wins. I mean, they beat Michigan State by a ton. They beat uh, Wake Forest. Or they beat Gonzaga earlier in the year. So I like what they've done this season. And although I love Texas Tech, I have them to go to the Final Four. I think Duke at plus one and a half has the value given uh, the upside they have, the size they have, and kind of Coach K's last ride. I'm not sure it ends here. So I like the plus one and a half for the Blue Devils. Steven, are you betting this game? Might. I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I think I think the spread around one point for either side. I mean, I think I don't think you can make a huge argument for that. I think it is, you know, a coin flip game on paper. I will say coming into the tournament, the concern I had with Duke was on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, defending. I think they they had some three point luck with their defense and running into a lot of teams that weren't hitting those shots. So I was worried about a potential second round matchup with Davidson, which didn't transpire. But with that three point shooting team that Davidson could have brought, maybe that would have made Duke vulnerable. And then. They play Michigan State, who shoots the three ball like they were Davidson and made like 11 threes in that game. And Duke still somehow won the game. Like if you look on paper, what Michigan State did on offense, like Duke shouldn't have won that game. But they did because I think Duke's ceiling to Nathan's point is pretty darn high. I mean, they didn't just beat Gonzaga earlier this year. They, they beat him pretty easily. I mean, they look they made Gonzaga look worse than we've seen him look in, in some time. So. With that being said, the matchup against Texas Tech, I think the one potential Achilles heel here is is the depth on both sides. Texas Tech can go 10 deep. Um, They're top 60 in the country in bench minutes. Duke is outside the top 300. So perhaps a live betting opportunity on Tech if Duke gets into foul trouble. But also, how often have we seen Duke get the wrong side of the whistle? It doesn't doesn't happen very often. So Mm -hmm. great point. Yeah, so I think just analytically, metrics-wise, Duke has potentially a a huge three-point shooting edge in this game. They're 29th in the country. Texas Tech's 251st. Um, Duke, in getting out in transition, that's where they can potentially take advantage of this Tech defense, which looks amazing on paper, but is only 70th in the country in transition defense. Um, So... When I'm looking at a coin flip game and trying to decide whether or not I want to take one side or the other, I'm looking for extra possessions and I'm looking for easy points. And Tech is outside the top 200 in free throw percentage. They are 285th in percentage of offensive possessions that lead to a turnover. So a high turnover giveaway rate for this Tech offense. And Duke is top 20 in the country. Their offense just doesn't give the ball away. So I think those are maybe those those points here and there that could go Duke's way in this game um, to potentially give them just enough to get by. So I, I'm not sure I'm going to bet it pregame, but if you're forcing me to, I'm probably going to go with Duke just because of the offensive liabilities that Tech has. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I like Texas Tech here to advance uh, to the lead eight. I'd lay the one and a half points, I guess. That's, you know, that's what the market says. 
uh, or at least Tipico says right now, it's pretty much a coin flip game. Um, according to pregame.com, which provides free betting splits, uh, most of the action is on Duke, uh, but Texas Tech has went from a one-point underdog to a, a one-point favorite. So I don't know if they're booking faces or um, I, or they're trying to goad more pro-Duke money, but it would appear the sharp side is Texas Tech. Um, the betting splits, though, you never know with that kind of stuff. I actually take Mark Adams over Coach K. I'm not a big fan of Coach K. I said that again uh, last week. Um, it also helps that Texas Tech is one of the most experienced teams in the tournament, and Duke has, uh, is one of the least experienced teams in the tournament. And uh, Stephen made a great point about, about possessions and how you know possessions are essentially the, um, the decider in coin flip games. Um, and, and, and Texas Tech does have a really poor offensive turnover rate, but Duke is um, 309th in defensive turnover rate, so they don't really apply much pressure to ball handlers, handlers or at least turn them over a lot. And the one, I guess, possession-based stat where I see a strength uh, versus weakness edge and is in the offensive rebounding um, um, spot where Texas Tech – is 40th in offensive rebounding rate, and De- uh, Duke's defense is 216th in offensive rebounding rate allowed. So I think Texas Tech will be able to crash the, co- uh, the glass and get easy points that way. Um, and Texas Tech is a lot better at getting to the free throw line than Duke. Uh, Duke is very good at keeping opponents off the free throw line, granted. Um, but again, with the, the officiating stuff, I think if Texas Tech is at least going to be aggressive, and I think they will be, you know, I think their experience will, um, will, will, I don't know, force them or have them, I guess, reflect in game and have them be more aggressive at attacking the glass. I think they will get calls and get to the free throw line. Now there is a concern. They won't be able to knock down the free throws like, cause what Steven said, um, they're only 233rd in free throw um, free throw percentage, but I'll take Texas Tech for you know all the aforementioned reasons, and I get to zag you guys, which is kind of cool. Yeah, good one to always go a little oppo on, especially <laughs> when when all three are on the same side. You know yeah, we say. we couldn't go three samesies on two games in a row, so I'm happy yeah. that I'm happy to take the contrarian play, even though neither <laughs> one of you are giving out. Uh, it doesn't sound like Duke is going to be a best bet for either one of you guys. Is that right? Nope. Yeah, I think, that's, at least. I think that's fair. I mean, I lean Duke, but I mean, you don't have to twist my arm to root against Duke. So let's just put it that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, same here by a long shot. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's let's go over to this, uh, the South region, actually. We'll start with the first one, which is um, Michigan, Big Ten's Michigan versus uh, the Big East Villanova. Uh, tips off at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on TBS. Right now, Villanova, according to Tipico, is a um, – uh, hold on real quick. Villanova is a four-and-a-half-point oh. favorite. The total is sitting at 135-and-a-half with the under um, juiced up to minus 115. Do you see any value in betting this game, Stephen? And if so, how are you, how are you attacking it? Yeah, I think uh, if I can find a four and a half, I'm going to take Villanova in this game. Um, let's just start with the coaches. I think Jay Wright's the best coach in college basketball, and I think that he is a great game planner. I really do. And uh, I think against Jawan Howard, he's going to coach circles around him. So 
Um, Do you happen to be from Philly? I mean, you're wearing a hat that suggests you might be. (laughs) So Jeff is like the biggest Big East supporter you'll ever meet in your life. He's yeah. going to tell you they're the best conference by a long shot. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm, I'm a St. John's graduate. He and, loves Jay Wright. And it pains me how much I like Jay Wright, but that guy puts a fear of God into me. And he, and the I agree thing, with you. I think he's the best. I think he's the best in the business. Honestly, I do. I mean, the only thing he's done wrong in the past five to eight years is stop wearing the five-star suits that cost like $1,000 and going to the coaching gear on the sideline, right? I mean, that's a downgrade if you ask me. And the guy's <laughs> the best dress coach in college basketball. But, I mean, what can you argue with? The guy's won two national championships. He's constantly a contender in, you know, one of the best basketball conferences in the country. I mean, yes, I am from Philadelphia. But I also went to Syracuse, which, and when they were in the Big East, might I add, when they left the Big East, it was one of the worst days of my life. Uh, I have so many fond memories of, of Big East tournament games at Madison Square Garden and being there in person. I was there in person for the six overtime game against UConn. So despite the fact that I'm from Philadelphia, I went to Syracuse and I hate Villanova. Like we used to get beat by them all the time. Like when, when it was like Mike Nardi and Randy Foy and Alan Ray and, you know, Dante Cunningham after that. So um, I hate Villanova, but I respect the hell out of them too. So for this matchup against Michigan, I think it's a huge coaching advantage. I know Hunter Dickinson has been awesome, but you got to believe that, that Jay Wright's going to have some type of answer for Hunter Dickinson in this game to try and force him to get the ball out of his hands. And I know, See, when you have a team like Villanova that plays at such a low tempo, like their adjusted tempo is 345th, that tends to scare me at times because you're you're shortening the game and less possessions for possibly the other team to come in and, and pull the upset if you have an off shooting night. But um, Villanova doesn't give away many cheap points. They are they're number one in the country in free throw percentage. So you can rely on them to cover us a, a two possession spread at the end of the game if you have to, especially in a tournament game when the other team's going to be fouling a bunch to to try and stay in the game no matter what they can do. Um, we see that a little more in tournament games than we do in the regular season. On top of that, they don't turn the ball over very much. They're top 31 in turnover percentage on offense. And they're also a top 51 three-point shooting team so um they don't shoot themselves in the foot right and i think michigan was really impressive against tennessee i think they won that game more than tennessee lost that game i think that was a low-key really entertaining high quality basketball game um i just i just think villanova is a really clean talented team that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot maybe more so than any other team in the country. Yeah, so I really like when you give great analysis and then I just come on and I give like a little more analysis to your great analysis because I'm going to go Villanova as well. And I'm going, so I have down, they were seven and five against the spread in non-conference games. And they've covered their last two on top of that. I like Jay Wright. I like how he could potentially neutralize Hunter Dickinson. And when I think of Michigan, it kind of makes me think of a team like Providence where their leading score is a big man. I, I think Dickinson's a, I wouldn't say significantly, but he's better than Nate Watson in terms of what he can do around the rim. Um, but they held Nate Watson to 13 points per game. If you can hold Dickinson to under 15 or under 18, I think uh, it's a pretty good cover and win for Villanova. So I also like Villanova, maybe even by double figures. I, I don't think Michigan's that good this season. I don't, understand how a team was 18 and 14 coming in was able to get a um such a high seed so 
we'll see. But I also like Nova minus four and a half. Yeah, Jeff and Nate, one more thing I want to mention real quick about Nova that I want you guys and everybody listening to watch out for. When you watch this game, you know, how many teams in college basketball feed it to their big man in the post and let him decide what to do, right? And for the most part, your big men are not the best passers on your team. Like we saw that with Kofi Coburn in, in Illinois. Watch Villanova and watch them put their best passer, Connor Gillespie, in the post. And from that spot, have his best decision maker decide whether or not he has an advantage to go to the rim and get a high percentage shot or kick it out for a three-pointer. I think it's awesome how often he puts his guards in the post as opposed to his big men. God, I hate Connor Gillespie. I, I do too. I mean, I, he's he's you know he's he's come a long way though since his freshman year during the Obama administration. Though. <laughs> yeah, that dude is so old. I graduated in uh, college in '08, and I could have swore he played for Villanova back then. <laughs> no, I remember major Perry Ellis vibes. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, the Villanova teams, the up and coming Villanova teams, of Randy Foy that uh, Stephen just talked about as well. And um, I actually grew up a Syracuse fan. I used to. Um, when I turned 18, take some money and, and turning stone poker room. So I'm from upstate New York. I'm familiar with that area. Big Syracuse. Uh, you grew poor, up big poor Syracuse. soul. <laughs> it is not a fun reality at this point. You poor, poor soul. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, that's why I moved out to, to Long Beach, California. Much nicer uh, location. But uh, I lean Nova. I, 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 if I were to play it either way, it would definitely be Villanova. But because of the, the pace comment that that steven made i i i think there's a little more value in the under i guess this is a pros versus joe's game at least in the total betting market going to pregame there's a lot more money on the under but a lot more the public is on the over and i just think nova will with its low uh, offensive turnover rate and michigan's really bad defensive turnover rate are going to be able to control the pace they're like um i think you said steven they're like three hundred, um, like three hundredth and and pace, something like that, and and uh, three hundred forty eighth and offensive pace, and Michigan is three hundred eighty six and offensive pace. So they both pay, play a slow pace, um, and and Villanova's actually went um, one and four towards the under in the last five games, and they're one and seven towards the under in the last eight on a neutral site as a favorite. So. Um, I think it's a good situation, uh, situational spot for the under to cash. I can see both playing a lot of uh, one and done possessions, long possessions, um, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll take the under here in this in this um, South Region matchup. But uh, that's all I got for that game. Let's move on, unless you guys got any uh, further analysis. No, I think yeah. you summed it up pretty good. All right, cool. So Arizona um, it meets. Houston in the uh, one versus five matchup in the um, in the South bracket. Arizona currently is a one and a half point favorite, at least according to Tipico, and the total is sitting at one forty five and a half, with the under juiced at minus one fifteen. Um, are you Nate? How are you playing this game? Yeah, so I think Houston. I mean, they're one of the best covering teams in the nation. They have just five losses. Kind of what a uh, Steven said earlier, when you have these 1.5 point spreads, you're really just playing which team's going to win outright. And I think Arizona's proven themselves. They weren't necessarily a top 25 team, but they've they've proven themselves. And But they haven't been uh, – they don't have a ton of quality wins. They beat UCLA at home. 
and they lost them by 16 on the road. They also lost to Tennessee earlier in the year. I don't think they have those high-quality ones that make me necessarily want to back them. Obviously, neither does Houston. As Stephen maybe mentioned earlier, while Ken Palm does rank Houston top 10 in both adjusted and adjusted offensive and defense efficiency, some of those can be relatively inflated. I honestly, it comes some of these come down to the coaching, and I think Kelvin Sampson's just an absolute stud of a coach. I think he'll be able to game plan well against Matherin, and I think he has the athletes to uh, go up against him. I like Houston to cover the one and a half point spread. They're nine and one against the spread over the last 10. Obviously, March is a little different, and it's just a pick them. But uh, what I saw from Arizona uh, against TCU and then what I saw from Houston against a solid Illinois team makes me want to go with Houston here. Yeah. So sorry to Steven's last uh, Final Four team, <laughs> but I'm hoping they, they get out. Steven, the first uh, uh, question that I have for you and um, before – taking a look or hearing your handicap or as I'm hearing your handicap for this game is most of the college basketball people that I listened to uh, insisted that Tommy Lloyd, the head coach for Arizona pee down his leg in the, the round of 32 matchup versus TCU. You said you live bet Arizona and it was pretty sweaty in that one. Is that how you saw it as well? Or why was that game as close as it was? I, I don't, I, I think if I had to just pinpoint the one thing, it was all the second chance opportunities for TCU, right? For whatever reason, with Arizona's size, they weren't able to hold TCU off of the offensive glass. And um, I'm not sure that's necessarily coaching. I think it's just effort, right? Like for for to have that amount of size down low for Arizona, I mean, um, I think that – it was just max effort. I think you got the A plus. Listen, guys, we're talking about one game sample sizes here, right? Like we're not talking about best of seven. So every once in a while, you're going to get an opponent's A plus game. And for Arizona, frankly, should have lost that game, right? Like they mm-hmm. should be out of this tournament if we're being honest. And they somehow survived and were able to move on. So. Does that mean that they're going to get Houston's A-plus game? Not necessarily. I mean, we saw Houston in the Final Four last year and get absolutely blown out by Baylor. So, um, you know, we're, we're always talking about a range of outcomes in these situations, but I don't, I don't think it was a coaching thing against, against TCU. I just think that they got TCU's best game. And, um, but, but I will say that they need to clean that up for sure. I mean, I'm sure they don't want to play another game against a really good offensive rebounding team and giving up that many second chance opportunities. Cause that's what invites an upset. Yeah. I'm looking this up now. TCU had 20 offensive rebounds and they shot 10% worse from the field, but they still hung in there. So second yeah, chances. Absolutely right on that. Yeah. And yeah. Houston's got the third highest offensive rebounding rate in the country, according to Ken Palm. Whereas Arizona is only 193rd in defensive rebounding rate. They do have size, of course, but um, apparently they're not as good or don't put as much effort into closing out defensive possessions. I think, you know, from from covering college basketball here in Louisville over the years and talking to coaches like Rick Pitino and John Calipari, I think what's interesting here is that uh, Arizona is playing almost an identical situation, right, with this offensive rebounding. But the first time, they only had two days to prepare for it. They had 48 hours between the first and second round game to prepare for what TCU can bring. Now they got a whole week to prepare for Houston. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were a little bit more effective 
in slowing down that offensive rebounding for Houston with the more time to prepare. But, you know, that's something we don't know for sure until the game happens. For sure. I like Houston here. I mean, I did pick them to make the final four. Um, so I'm just going to kind of more or less ride out. I found um, some amazing trends for Houston. And, um, you know, it's it started um, – these trends are started in 2015 when they hired Kelvin Sampson, Samson, who's an, an elite uh, college basketball coach. But they're profitable both by ATS record and ATS differential um, versus ranked opponents in NCAA tournament games and non-conference games and neutral site games and as an underdog. Um, they check all those boxes in this game against Arizona. Um, it is a pros versus Joes game, according to the betting splits. And uh, Houston has mad experience, where Arizona, Arizona is uh, only 335th in experience, at least according to Ken Palm. Houston's got four upperclassmen, and it's starting five. And Arizona has three underclassmen, and it's starting five. And I just, um, I, I do like the coaching matchup. For uh, I just I just like Kelvin Sampson's uh, experience and the experience of his roster in this matchup. So I'll go ahead and take uh, Houston plus one and a half points currently is what Tipico has it, and I'll probably it'll be going to the uh, window with me for my best bet. Uh, do you guys have any other analysis on this one, or do you want to head over to the East region? I'll just say I wish this wasn't a Sweet Sixteen game. I mean, I think yeah. these are Final Four teams, and it sucks. Like, I wish Houston was the five seed where Iowa was, and I could have put Houston to advance out of that region. And I think they would have beaten Kansas. Um, it's just, it just happens, right? Sometimes. I mean, if you you go to Ken Palm, these are the, I think the second and third best teams by Ken Palm in the country. We got to see them in the Sweet Sixteen. So, um, probably won't have a bet on this game, but we'll enjoy the hell out of watching it. Yep, I completely agree. All right, well, let's go over to the East region. We'll start with the um, hold on. The first game in the East region is Purdue at St. Peter versus St. Peter's. Um, Purdue, according to Tipico, is favored twelve and a half points. The total sitting at one thirty-five and a half, with the over juice to minus one fifteen. I'll go to you, Stephen, first. It's a big number. Are you, are you willing to lay close to two touchdowns on the Boilermakers here? Probably not. I'm probably looking for other ways to take advantage of the matchup here. Uh, before I get into it, like I've been dying ever since the Peacocks went on their run here. I've been dying to tell this crazy Peacock story that I have. Can I can I tell it here real quick? If you guys Absolutely. Don't mind? No, yeah, Peacock it up. So I used to live in, in South Florida. I lived in Miami for a few years and there's a little spot south of downtown Miami called Palmetto Bay. And there's just peacocks walking around the, the streets like like pigeons in New York. But they have peacocks, literally. Like I saw a group of four peacocks just hanging out in a superb, suburban development. So I took my dog on a walk one day and she saw a peacock and went for it like instinctively to, to go hunt it. And I swear to God, I saw a peacock jump from the front lawn of a house onto the roof. And I could not believe what I saw because I didn't think peacocks could do anything but walk around and open their feathers. I literally saw a peacock have the biggest vertical of any animal I've ever seen in my entire life. So from that That's day it. forward, I had mass re- massive respect for the peacock. Elite athlete. Peacock. Yes. Underrated elite athlete, those peacocks. But uh, so thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me get that out because I've been trying to share that all week. But uh <laughs> This matchup against Purdue, 
I think there's some regression coming here for St. Peter's, obviously. I mean, I, they're the third 15 seed to make the Sweet 16. Um, but how, how have they done it in these first two rounds? They've done it by shooting 50% from the field on two-point shots. But on the season, they rank 313th on two-point field goal attempts. And now they're playing a Purdue team that has massive size on the inside, much more than than what they faced in the first two rounds. Like even Kentucky was a little bit more undersized than your typical Kentucky team. So now you're going up against Travion Williams at 6'10, Zach Eady at 7'4, guarding the rim. And four of the top six in, in St. Peter's rotation are 6'3 or smaller. So all those high percentage shots that you were getting in the first couple of rounds at or near the rim, I think are going to be much more difficult against this this Purdue team. And you're also talking about a St. Peter's team that ranks 266th in free throw shooting. So um, I understand why the spread is where it's at. I'm not going to lay a number that big with how poor Purdue has been for most of the season on defense. Um, but also with the pace that St. Peter's likes to play, a very slow pace to hopefully maybe shorten this game and shorten Purdue's possessions. I think if I'm playing anything here, it might be the St. Peter's team total under 62 is what maybe stands out to me here. Oh, I don't hate that. Their offense is just abysmal by like all the Ken Palm metrics, which is more or less just advanced metrics. I mean, terrible effective field goal shooting team really careless with the ball terrible at the free throw line it's bad and like their slow pace and just terrible shooting is definitely going to help produce suspect defense right and like like you said like the lack of um, St. Peter's size um, you know puts it at a significant disadvantage against a team as as big as Purdue but when you factor on the fact that Purdue is also elite offensively they're probably just going to like cut through uh St. Peter's like a knife through hot butter. Like it's I don't I don't see how St. Peter stops them, but it, I again I am like maybe too hesitant to to lay the lumber here with Purdue at minus 12 and a half. Yeah, I mean real real peacocks jump higher than these peacocks. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. Um and Nate, how are you seeing this game? What are you, where are you putting any money on this one? Yeah, so if I put any money, it would definitely be on Purdue. I watched Purdue-Texas. That was probably, going into it, it was probably my number one uh, round of 32 game. I've been all up on, as you know well, I've been all up on the Big 12 in every matchup. I bet them against Texas, and it was it was one that I, uh, I mean, I took that one. I, I they, they were up some in the first couple minutes, and I thought, I thought it was going to hit. But uh, either way, Texas. I think that was more... Yeah, for Texas. I thought that was more on Purdue being just elite offensively. I mean, Ivy was great. He sealed that game, 87 foot four. And I really think the difference between a Kentucky like team and Purdue is in the three point shooting. So, Kentucky, Kellen Grady's really the only three point shooter sniper that plays for Kentucky. Ty Ty's all right. Their point guard can't shoot, their, their four can't shoot, the five can't shoot. So they have the size, but they don't have the shooting. Purdue has both. And that's where I think the difference comes in. The Boilermakers rank third in uh, three-point shooting percentage. And then they also have Edie down low. And they're going to have the best player by a mile in the game. Uh, I, that, And that's the team I'd like to back. Again, 12 and a half probably makes this a pass for me. 
I just don't see any other way to play it. Except maybe the St. Peter's St. Peter's under. That's probably a decent way. Purdue's getting whistles in this tournament too, right? More so than they would with Big Ten officiating. I mean, they, they had 33 made free throws against Texas, 46 attempts from the free throw line. You're not seeing that in Big Ten conference play. Yeah, what, not. what was Texas at? Because that was the that was what was the deal breaker to, in that game. Yeah, forty six to twelve in free throw attempts. Because yeah, but uh, uh, Texas offensive efficiency was probably even better than Purdue, right? It's just it was the free throw discrepancy, and like the thing that pops out to me when I'm looking at this fan match at uh, at, at uh, on Ken Palm is. Um, St. Peter's defense is 348th in defensive free throw rate, 348th, and Purdue's offense is 14th in free throw attempt rate. So Purdue is already getting calls against a team, a Texas team that I don't know what their defensive free throw rate is, but it's there's no way it's as bad as St. Peter's. Just it's impo- almost impossible. So like that. On top of everything else, and like you know, like Stephen mentioned earlier, like the 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 most important thing for teams to win by margin in tournament games in college basketball is free throw shooting. And granted, Purdue isn't a very good free throw shooter, but they'll be there a lot. They'll be there a real lot today or on uh, Friday. On Friday, sorry, Nate. What, what else do you have on this game? Oh, I was just saying I was going to segue into the next game, but this is kind of a topic that. I kind of feel like should be mentioned somewhere. I think the free throw shooting is getting out of hand. I was watching North Carolina Baylor and the refs took it over 64 free throws, 53 fouls. That made for one of the most boring games. I mean, North Carolina won their two and a half point underdogs against UCLA. But I, I had to mention that I've been, I feel like I've been seeing way too many fouls called. Maybe it's because they're, they're not pros and they're, or maybe they're just, the refs are just whistle happy. I don't know. I think that's what it is, and I don't think there's really but, anything that can be done to address it in the near future. I don't know. I don't know. Unless they're going to put like more money into training the official officials throughout all the college uh, basketball. I, I don't know. A team getting 37 free throws in a game is absurd. That yeah. and that that's just yeah. bad officiating too. I unless unless Baylor really, I kind of forget every one of their 20, 26 fouls, twenty seven fouls. But looking back I'll at the numbers, this, it feels though, insane. I mean. I'll, I'll say this. Our lead writer, Eli Hershkovich, talked to a couple people that were like reporting and sitting baseline for that Purdue-Texas game. And even they were saying that, you know, they could see why they were calling that many fouls because at some point you have to, you know, officiate like it's a big man and understand that it's going to be physical and whatnot. But they were saying it was a little bit more than the usual bumping and grinding that you see from big men. So, um, I, I do agree with you. I do think the officiating has been abysmal in too many important spots in this game. For me personally, I'm not sure that the, the Purdue-Texas game is the, my biggest gripe in this tournament, but I, I certainly hear you for the most part overall that you're like the block charge epidemic is ridiculous. Like nobody knows what a block and a charge is in college basketball at this point. So <laughs> There's been more charges than I've ever seen. J.D. Note was called for four charges. I saw Arkansas that game. Four of them. They're like, they're like, he's got four fouls, all charges in the second half. I'm like, no way. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's the, the, the sliding defender apparently doesn't exist anymore. Like that's, that's it's still a charge no matter what, where it used to be a block. Well, yeah. I mean, whether Purdue was getting just a fish uh, love from the referees or they're little, or they're really good at getting to the free throw line. Both could be true either way. Like their, their offensive free throw attempt rate versus, 
St. Peter's defensive free throw attempt rate is just too eye-popping. Like, I, I can't make a case for St. Peter's in this spot despite them getting 12.5 points. Like, I can't. So I, And they're going to have to foul Edie. You have to. Right. If, if they're calling that versus Texas, Edie's going to get 20 free throws. Yeah, for sure. But, all right, let's go on to the, uh, the, the final East Region game, which uh, tips off when at 9.30 or 9.40 Eastern Standard Time on um, – on um saturday um or excuse friday, me friday think, friday right? yeah excuse me friday uh ucla is playing uh, unc um unc is getting two and a half points a total is at 141 and a half um with the over juice to minus 112 i'll go to you first steven um ucla is actually my title pick should i be sweating this matchup though what do you what do you think uh, I mean, I think you're always sweating a, a game where the spread's one possession, right? Yeah, but, of uh, course. But I think you're in a good spot. You got a good draw. I mean, it's better than playing the one seed at this point. You got the eight seed North Carolina that has a lot of defensive liabilities. So um, I like UCLA to advance here. So to answer your question, but I'm not sure I'm betting the spread. I think I think I like the under more in this game. The the number being in the 140 surprised me a little bit. The only team UCLA has had totals this high against in recent memory is Arizona. And I know UNC has been in, impressive, but they're not Arizona. Um, UCLA is going to try and slow the tempo down, 271st and adjust the tempo. And the Tar Heels, regression has to come at some point for this Tar Heels offense. I mean, they've had 11 and 13 threes in their first two tournament games. And I think UNC wants to run. The Bruins rank outside the top 300 in transition defense, but I'm not sure they're going to get that many opportunities to do it. UCLA's offense is top five in turnover percentage. So how many fast break opportunities are they actually going to get to potentially take advantage of that Achilles heel of the UCLA defense? So um, I think Jaime Jaquez is going to play. There's some videos going around of him walking without much of a limp. So I think I think he's going to play. Whether he's 100%, we don't know. Um, but with UCLA's tempo and I think potentially some some offensive regression for North Carolina, I'm I'm looking at the under here. Okay, Nate, what about you? You go like UNC to take uh, get an upset here. Yeah, I like I like the uh, I like the under. I definitely like UCLA minus two and a half too. I think North Carolina is just due to regress, and I think UCLA they have the twenty eighth best defensive efficiency on uh, team rankings, and then they're also probably one of the best teams for their seed outside of maybe Houston and Ken Palm. They're ranked number four, which is uh, quite a bit higher than North Carolina. Well, North Carolina actually sits at twenty. So, and UCLA is one of the three teams in the nation that's at top 15 and both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency per Kempom. And uh, I just, I think they have too many weapons. They're, they're too experienced. Everything to me points uh, UCLA and North Carolina shot 44% from three against Baylor and then also shot 37 free throws. So I don't think either of those are repeated. And I do think there's regression due there. Yeah, I would lay the two and a half points at UCLA. Again, they are my title pick, but I, I don't even have a lot to add to your guys' handicap. And if you guys listened to this podcast last week, I just feel like a lot of my UCLA to win the tournament analysis effectively applies here in this game. Um, they did return 90% of their scoring from last year, all upperclassmen in the starting five. They have a more experienced head coach. 
Uh, Hubert Davis is in his first season at, at Chapel Hill. I think Johnny Juzang and uh, Yaquez uh, lock up Brady Manick. And like to kind of piggyback off of Steven's point, um, UCLA should be able to get into its offense because it's uh, has the fifth best offensive turnover rate in the uh, in college basketball, which Steven already said. But UNC's defensive turnover rate is 347th. So they're not going to like get out and transition via via um, turnovers. If if anything, it'll be like long rebounds and missed shots, and you can't really necessarily handicap that in, in, in basketball, right? Like, yeah, if UCLA misses, UNC should win. That's not really a handicapping point. That's pretty obvious. So um, I think UCLA wins this game and covers uh, roughly 60% of the time. I'll, I'll lay the points. I will against UNC, who is a team that I have uh, was high on going into the ACC tournament. They kind of disappointed, and I thought um, I liked them in their first round against Marquette. I gave that I was a best bet, and I liked them against Baylor. But my homie here, Nate Dog, talked me off of it. If you remember that, Nate, you remember that, right? You doing that? Yeah, I. Yeah, we don't have to take everyone behind the doubts. behind the curtain to slack. But you, you know, the Big Twelve was awesome in the first round. Round of thirty-two, a couple advanced, but we don't have to talk about Texas Tech, Notre Dame. We don't. No, we, we don't, we don't, we don't have to talk about Texas Tech-Notre Dame. Nothing needs to be said that uh, isn't said in the Twitter replies. So just go check those out. All right, anyways, going over the Midwest region, final region here before we give our best bets. Um, we'll start with the, the first matchup in the Midwest region, which is uh, Kansas facing Providence. Tip off 730 times in the United Center of Chicago. On TBS, Kansas is 7.5-point favorites. As the one seed, Providence as the four seed total is 141.5, minus 110 on each side. Nate, I'll go to you first here. Are you betting this game? And if so, how? So I love Kansas. They're my pick to get out of that conference. I had them beating Iowa. Um, I don't love the spread on this game. I think 7.5 is a lot. And I kind of remember it was kind of my handicap. It's not really handicapped because I'm passing, but it was really what you said earlier in the tournament, you're like, why is everyone betting on San Diego state when Providence has kept games close all year? Doesn't that mean they're good? Why are people saying like they're going to lose first round? And that's kind of how I feel in this game. I think they're going to keep it close and, but I'm not prepared to bet against Kansas either. So uh, I think ultimately I'm just going to give this one a pass and let someone else give the audience some information. Yeah. But Steven, real quick, I felt like the kind of, um, button up what he said about Providence. It felt like everyone was using their Ken Palm number one rank uh, luck uh, factor against them. And yeah. that's fine. That makes sense, right? It kind of kind of suggests regression is forthcoming. But like you could also make the argument, well, they're good in tight games, which is perfect for tournament time. Um, are, are, you, are you laying the lumber with Kansas here, passing, or, or do you see any value in Providence? Absolutely not betting Kansas at that number. Um, on the Understood. fence, also. Yeah. <laughs> on the fence, potentially betting Providence in this game. And I know our lead writer, Eli Hershkovich, has been having fun with Providence fans all season, saying they've been overrated. And exactly what you guys have said, that they've come out on the right side of a lot of close games throughout this season. But um, I think we also have to acknowledge that they have looked really damn impressive in this tournament. Um, and 
the market has the market didn't give him much credit in that first game. It was the the smallest spread for a four thirteen game basically ever. And then they come out against Richmond and just roll them and completely dominate them. Um, so, and I think if you watch that South Dakota State game, it was a single digit margin at the end, but for the most part, they were in control of that game start to finish. So now against Kansas, and the question is, is the number too big? And I think it might be. Um, if you look at the matchup, the Achilles heel for Kansas is that they don't really turn people over on defense. They are 320. Uh, I, I, I beg your pardon. I got that backwards here. Uh, the Achilles heel for Kansas is, um, well, not much really, to be honest with you, but they, they, they do run at a slow tempo. So that shortens game, shortens possessions, give other teams an opportunity to stay in the game. Um, and I think that for Providence offensively, they've been impressive. Number 25 in the country on the season in effective field goal percentage, um, top 60 in, in three point percentage. They get to the line at a decent clip and they're also a very good offensive rebounding team as well. Top 35. Um, so I think on paper, you're, you're going to want to lean Kansas here, but I think the season-long stats for Providence aren't necessarily reflecting what this team has been more recently, and I think that matters. Yeah, I definitely agree they're trending up. They've covered um, all four games as four-point underdo- underdogs are greater. They have slightly more experience in size um, compared to Kansas. Well, a lot more experience. They're ranked six in experience, according to Ken Palm. And they do have a little bit more size uh, than Kansas. Um, and I just think, like, you know, this is – I I prefer to fade Kansas in big games. Um, and that's more just like, I don't know, eyeball test without a lot of, like, numbers or, or, or uh, stake behind that sizzle, I guess, uh, would be a phrase you could use. But Providence is 8-1 and one against the number as a dog this season. They got a plus 8.7 ATS differential. And they're also four and two against the number versus ranked teams, uh, plus five point three ATS differential. Um, Kansas is eighteen and seventeen against the number as a favorite, but they're only four and six against the number versus ranked teams, and they got a minus three point um, zero ATS differential. And like Stephen was saying, I just think Providence is trending in the right direction. And I know it, as simply put as I can make it, I think seven and a half is too many points. I do. I think the I think they have the sharps respect too. I mean, these these opening odds and opening lines are like let's be honest. A lot of these odds makers are basically looking at Ken Palm and making opening lines for these games, right? And it's and Ken Palm has Providence pretty low for their record this year and how well they did in the Big East. They're not even a top thirty team on Ken Palm, and Kansas is a top five team. So thus you get a spread this big. But if you look at the first couple of rounds of these games, there has been sizable sharp money on Providence in each of the first two rounds. And now we saw an opening line in some spots around eight, now down to seven and a half. I think he'd even open at eight and a half at some spots. So once again, for the third straight game, sharp money is moving this back down towards Providence and they are getting support. So I think there's a divide here between the metrics and the analytics community um, and, and sharp betters, which is interesting to me because that doesn't happen very often. 
Well, I'll take the sharp betters bankrolls over the advanced community, advanced analytics communities, uh, calculators any day of the week. I'll tell you that. So if the, the, the money's hitting Providence, I'll, 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 uh, I'll fade Ken Palm in this, in this scenario. So, well, uh, good job buttoning that one up. And, uh, let's talk about the final game in the Midwest region. The final game will, will handicap here in the sweet 16, um, the 10 seed Miami Hurricanes are two and a half point favorites uh, going against the 11 seed Iowa State Cyclones. The total is sitting at 132 and a half with the over juice to minus 112. And uh, Stephen, I, honestly, I don't have much on this game. I, I can't get on um, board with one side or the other. Do you see anything you like here? Um, I like Miami. I do. And... Mm-hmm. Is it because you lived in South Florida for that time? And <laughs> no, you no. Hung out. With it wasn't because I could. It wasn't because I could walk around and see peacocks jumping on houses. I can tell you that. All right. Uh, but but yeah, I think I just think Iowa State is horrendous on offense, and I think that <laughs> yeah. they had really the most magical draw you could possibly think of for an 11 seed, playing an LSU team that fired their head coach, and playing a um, Wisconsin uh, team, right? Just yeah, that was just. Without Johnny Davis, I mean, Fraudulent. they have Johnny Davis, but if if well, if he's not dominant, like Wisconsin ain't shit on offense. Like we talked about Providence, Wisconsin's kind of been in that bucket all year too, right? Of of luck factor and winning close games and and not a very good offensive team that doesn't shoot the three ball well. So everybody that follows metrics knew that that Wisconsin team was vulnerable because they struggle to score points at times. So. Um, Iowa State's really just had a magical draw to get to this point, and I think Miami with their guard play has been really impressive. I think uh, Isaiah Wong has been fantastic. I think Charlie Moore has been solid. Um, they're small, but they're quick. They can get to the rim. They have a top 30 effective field goal percentage. They um, you know, don't turn the ball over very much at all. So I know – Offen- I, th- I know offensive teams from time to time in this tournament can lay an egg and that causes an upset, but I think the deeper you get into this tournament, you need to be able to score some points too, and I think Iowa State is just not a good offensive team. They are outside the top 200 in effective field goal percentage and three-point shooting, so that's not a team at this point that I want to rely on to to advance in a tournament, and I think you might actually have a little bit of value on on Miami to win two games this weekend and maybe get to the final four. So I, I think there's a decent number there on, on their final four futures as well, because I think both Providence and Kansas are vulnerable. Yeah. I'm actually on Miami heavy and I actually, I didn't pick it as an upset, but I wrote to bet the spread them against Auburn, partially because I hate Auburn, partially because I love Miami and you said they're small. They're definitely small, but that may not be a factor against Iowa State. So Iowa State is a big that's six eight and a big six ten, but their top four scores are all six four or smaller. So it's not necessarily like they're there's some Purdue type team that's just going to hammer them on the glass. Um, on top of that, two of Miami's top three scores are seniors, and two of their top six scores stand six foot nine or taller. So I think they have experience. And they've also given me a bit of reason to believe in them. Miami beat Duke at Duke and beat UNC in the regular season, then covered a four-point loss to Duke in the ACC tournament. And while I love the Big 12, I don't necessarily love Iowa State. They lost to Kansas and Baylor both times they played them, and they beat Texas Tech, but Tech only scored 41 points. Is that some credit to Iowa State? Sure, but 
most of the time tech's going to put more than 47 on you. So I like Miami. I like Miami here. I love their guard play, love their experience. Um, I don't think there's a ton to hate about Miami and I don't think Iowa state's that good. Well, is all that uh, Big Twelve over everyone bullshit you were talking the Big about? Big Twelve didn't. The Big Twelve <laughs> fan didn't think Iowa State was going to make it here. You he didn't think Iowa State was going to beat uh, Wisconsin. You aborted that 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 take pretty fast, huh? I'm I'm going to fade you and take I, Iowa was, State here. Let me tell you that. It was only for the top tier of Big Twelve. Oh, all right. Well, and I'm, they I, they were all I'm saying is Big Twelve was awesome week one. Fair I mean, enough. let's let's not forget this is an Iowa team that didn't win a Big Twelve game last year. Like they've they've done really well to get to this point. It's an amazing turnaround story, but this is not some crazy talented team. No, I agree with that. I just for the argument that you made in fading Iowa State's offense, their defense is so good. Like they they get in they 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 lock teams up defensively. And yeah, their draw was super easy. I hear you and all that. And I, I really can't push back on a lot of the analysis either one of you guys used. But, you know, they have made money for me for the past couple of rounds. So that's the side that I lean. They do have more quad one wins in Miami. They have a tougher schedule. And and honestly, I do think their defense is like the best side of the ball for either team. Um, but 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 Miami is is a, a very good offensive team and a very good shooting team. So I'm not going to take it to the window, which we're get, about to get to here in a second. Um, but man, I want to I, I do want to bet you, Nate. Heads up, you don't have to go to the 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 odds makers or wherever or wherever you go to make your bets. Drive across state lines. You can just put it on. Uh, we can, All right, we next can, time I'll just hit you in the slack and you'll be taking <laughs> Iowa State. Absolutely, just go with that. absolutely. I'll book that action. No problem. All right, well, unless you guys have any uh, further notes in the Midwest region, I say we get into the uh, final segment we need to call Going to the Window with our best bets. What do you guys say? Let's Continue do it. it up. The Bet Slipping Podcast. Going to the Window. So I have four best bets here. I, um, uh, I'm taking a game in each one of the regions. That's um, my, my first one that I'm looking at, I'm taking Texas Tech minus one and a half over Duke in the West region. Uh, I'm going with Houston plus one and a half over Arizona in the South region. Those are two of my four best bets. Uh, Steven, how many best bets? You don't, you can only give, you don't, you don't even have to give uh, like more than one. You can just give one if you want or however many you like in this uh, sweet 16. I think of the ones I mentioned today, the three I like the most are definitely Gonzaga. I got them again at minus eight and a half. If you can get them minus nine, I'd be happy with that anything higher i'm going to try and get on the live line um the more i looked at it i i I do really like miami i like miami minus two yes sir yeah go canes and i like ucla unc under 141 and a half Uh, those are the three that stand out to me the most just banking on north carolina to come back down to earth offensively and ucla to play their their usual slow grinded out style nate what do you got on your bet slip I got a Miami minus two and a half, Nova minus four and a half, and UCLA minus two and a half. So that's it. Let's hear your last two. Yeah, I'm on my uh, UCLA minus two and a half over UNC in the East region. I'm taking the seven and a half points with Providence over Kansas. I really was afraid that all three of us are going to be on that one, and we were going to look kind of square here. So I'm happy to be the only one to actually give it out as a best bet. Um, but that that wraps up the bed slipping podcast. Thanks, Stephen, for joining us. Um, uh, I'm 
I was really impressed with your college basketball analysis. You, for the most part, schooled us. Definitely made our listeners sharper and the bet slipping podcast sharper. So thank you. And uh, where can people check out your uh, check out your handicaps or your stuff? I don't know. Plug whatever you need to. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again for having me on. Um, you can find the lines on Twitter at the lines US. Um, the lines.com obviously is the website. Check out our interactive bracket um, for betting previews of every game as the tournament advances. Uh, our lead writer at Eli Hershkovich does a fantastic job of, of breaking down these games and also giving you full transparency on what he's betting. Uh, so you guys can make a decision one way or the other, whether um, you think his analysis is good or not, but he's, he's never going to be a guy who um, tells you to bet on a game that, that he doesn't personally bet on himself. And that's something we, we take a lot of pride in at the lines as well. We're not touts, whatever we bet on, we will share with you, but we will never tell you to bet on something that we are not personally betting on ourselves. And the last thing I'll just mention is um, keep an eye out Final Four weekend. We're going to be down in New Orleans, three members of our staff checking out all the festivities, uh, having some betting content down there around the Caesar Superdome and some awesome sign-up promos as well during Final Four week. Um, and you can check out the best sign-up offers as well. Get some free money here for the rest of the tournament at thelines.com. Oh, yeah, man. Are you going to be down in New Orleans? I will be down there. Yeah. That's exciting. I, uh, That's exciting. Stay it's... sober while you're uh, interfacing with the Lions fans. Odds for me to stay sober for all four days while in New Orleans. St. Uh, Peter's has a way better chance of advancing than you staying sober. Two, <laughs> over under a two and a half days sober, though? <laughs> Uh, well, I am working, so I, I think we'll have to go with the under on that one, but we'll, we'll definitely find a night here. Uh, there won't be much to do on Sunday. So I think Saturday night's a, a good possibility here. I mean, I, I already told you I went to Syracuse and once upon a time we got voted the number one party school in the country. So I, I like to think I played a small part in that rank. <laughs> yeah. Well, there ain't nothing else to do up there besides party. So you guys should be uh, <laughs> favorites in that bracket every year. All right. Thanks, Steven. Check Steven out. Um, what's your Twitter? At Steven Andres 1, Steven with a PH. All right. Thanks for coming on, homie. Have a nice rest of your day. Best of luck to all the listeners, whether you fade or follow us. Hopefully, provide you guys some extra um, some extra value when prepping for your uh, Sweet 16 here. But peace out. We'll talk to you next week. Yep. This is the Bet Slippin' Podcast. Featuring Jeff Clark from USA Today Sportsbook Wire. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I mean, it's the gambling business. Occasionally get punched in the face. You're listening to the Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here.